did want to uh, mention to you, uh, we've we've started printing these off. So, uh, parents, if uh, you're growing weary of wrangling small children in the pew who can't seem to keep them ha- their hands to themselves, these little note sheets right here. It'll keep. It'll, you just give them give them a pencil, and hopefully it'll keep them at least doodling for about thirty seconds. All right, you can pay attention for thirty more seconds. So, those are uh, those are in the gathering area. Don't all go rush and grab one right now. Just uh, just get one next week, but. Wanted to let you know that those were out there. It's a good way to actually help your help your kids pay attention to the sermon and to the service, recording what uh, what they're seeing and hearing. We've been working our way through Luke's gospel, so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter eleven. We're going to look again at Luke eleven one through thirteen. Last week we covered verses one through four. Uh, today we're going to cover verses five through. 13. Let's give attention to God's Word. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we just pray uh, that you would continue to teach us how to pray. Lord Jesus, that we would listen and give ear to your words. That we would hold fast to you. That we would believe in you. Transform us from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul Miller, uh, who writes a book on prayer, remarks about how uh, when the, the adults that Jesus uses as examples often act like children. Um, the adult in the parable that Jesus gives here uh, acts somewhat childishly in, in going out in the middle of the night and banging on his neighbor's door. We're going to look at another parable in a minute where a, uh, a widow constantly asks a judge to give her justice. 
Uh, and I can't help but think of my own, uh, my own kids and in my home, I'm, I'm the no guy, uh, which means I say no to everything. In fact, I, I get some kind of like sick little delight out of saying no. Um, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Like that was just the way my dad was. That's the way I am. But you know, dad, can we watch? No. Dad, can we have? No. Dad, can we go? No. I'm, I'm just a no guy. In fact, my, when my kids come to my wife and ask if they can do something, if, if she responds with these words, go ask your dad, they go, <sighs> but they're taking cues from Jesus and not from me, hopefully, right? Jesus tells us to boldly and persistently ask, to boldly and persistently Ask Last week, um, when we looked at the, the first four vo- verses of this passage at Jesus' model prayer, I, I defined prayer as the needy child talking with his father. That, that desperation, a sense of neediness is at the heart of prayer, right? We pray because we need God. We need God to draw near to us. We need God to work in us. I mean, think about it. Uh, we pray, there's at least four different prayers that we pray throughout our worship service. And we pray all of them because we need God to do something. We need God to reveal himself to us. We need God to reveal our sin to us and to forgive us for our sins. Uh, we have a we have a prayer team that meets once a week. We have uh, people even now praying uh, for our worship service, and so uh, we pray because we need desperately for God to work. And conversely, the other thing can be true that if I don't pray, it's because I don't think I need God to do anything. That behind a lack of prayer is actually a lot of self-reliance. That I'm, that I'm leaning on myself instead of carrying things before God. Right? Thanking Him for the food and then saying, hey, thank you, I got the rest of it from here. That's typical of us. Imagine, imagine that you're the president's daughter and you're cornered in a dark alley by 20 angry-looking men whose intentions are not good. And in your pocket, you have a keychain, a button, that you can press. And your, your secret service escort right around the corner, as soon as you press that button, they're, they're on you, right? They, they'll swoop in, they'll handle the problem, and it would be over. But instead of pulling out that button, you decide instead to dig in your purse and grab out your pepper spray. And say, I got this. That's what we do with prayer. When faced with insurmountable odds, we often say, I got this. Instead of going to our Father in desperation. And so the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And the first thing that Jesus does is he gives us a model prayer. And then the next thing that Jesus does is he shows us uh, how to approach prayer, what kind of attitude we are to have when we pray. And we could summarize it this way, that we are to pray boldly and persistently because we have a good father who gives the best to his children. 
So I notice there, there's two things that Jesus calls us to do and then he grounds them in the third. We pray boldly and we can pray persistently because of the character of our Father. We have a good Father who gives the best. So let's, let's look at each one of these aspects. And as we, as we do, as we look at each one, I actually want to target a central lie that we believe. Right Underneath each one of these things, there's a lie that we believe about God. Uh, and so it affects our, our prayer lives. Uh, so praying boldly. So, so here's the lie that we believe here. We believe something like this. God knows what I need. So I don't need to trouble him. Uh, or God's really busy, uh, and my concerns are are unimportant to him, and so we don't pray. At any rate, Jesus uh, Jesus counteracts that lie with a truth, and he teaches that truth through a parable about this this man who's. Put between a rock and a hard place. He's in a difficult situation. You see, in, in Jesus' day, if you had a guest come from out of town, or even from in town, it was your obligation to feed them. That, that was the cultural expectation of hospitality. One of the last things you wanted to be in the first century in, in uh, Jerusalem, in this area, was a bad host. Right, that was that was socially, culturally unacceptable. But here's the problem. His friend arrives at midnight. And he doesn't have any food. And there is no Walmart. Right? 24-7 grocery stores don't exist. And so, he's got to ask himself a question. Do I want to be a bad host? Or do I want to be an obnoxious neighbor? And he chooses obnoxious neighbor. And he goes and he knocks on his neighbor's door. Uh, now here's the other thing you need to know. And this is why this would have been a very audacious and bold thing to do. Uh, the house was one room. And odds are the entire family slept together on a mat in the center. So, so once, once it was nighttime, again, uh, this is the ancient world. There is no electricity. Nobody's hanging out, hanging out late to watch Netflix. Everybody's in bed. They bar the door. And they, and they all go to bed together. And so for this man to come and, and pound on the door, uh, the whole, look, if you've had, if you've had kids, particularly young kids, you know what it, what it takes to get them to sleep. And then you know the dance that you do to keep them asleep. Right? In fact, there are times, especially as a, as a young parent, when you think, like, you'll sell anything just to get sleep, right? You will do just about anything, stand on one foot, stand on your head and spit quarters, if you can just get that child to sleep and stay asleep. And so this guy's coming in the middle of the night, pounding on the door, asking for food, which is going to require dad to get out of bed, and if that doesn't wake anybody up, then he's got to get to the door, remove the bar, that will wake someone up, and then we got to rummage uh, around for some bread. All right, so that's the dilemma that this guy faces. Uh, and Jesus says, I tell you that if this man won't get out of bed because he's his friend, it's not friendship that motivates the brother to get out of bed. It's not friendship, it's not compassion that motivates the neighbor to get out of bed. It's the other man's audacity. 
that this man has boldly come in the middle of the night and knocked on the door to get food. That is the commendable trait. Uh, He's moved by impudence, which is a, a tough word for us to translate. Basically, it means a shameful boldness. This man has the audacity to go in the middle of the night and wake up his neighbor and his family to ask for bread. But that's exactly what gets his response. And Jesus is making uh, what's called a lesser to greater argument. That if a neighbor is willing to respond to that kind of boldness, then surely a gracious father will respond to that kind of boldness. And so Jesus is telling us to pursue God boldly in prayer. To not think, well, I mean, God's really important and I'm really not, so I probably shouldn't ask Him about this. No, pursue God boldly. James tells us in James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. We can ask. We can ask boldly. Um... I've told you before and uh, readily still acknowledge that I hate asking people for things. I particularly hate asking people for money. And yet for some reason, uh, organizations like Raleigh's Place put me on their uh, board uh, where I'm in the position that I have to ask people for things. Which, by the way, you should support Raleigh's Place. It's a great ministry. <laughs> Give us your money. Um, but I remember talking to a, a, an elderly minister uh, in, our, in our presbytery, in our state, um, and we were talking over a number of things, but I just mentioned to him that, uh, that I hated talking about money, that I hated asking for money. And, uh, his name's Henry Lewis. And he goes, Kevin, can I share something with you? And I said, absolutely. He goes, get over it. <laughs> Jesus tells us to pray boldly, shamelessly even, like a man in the middle of the night looking for bread. He also tells us to pray persistently. And here's the lie that we believe in this case. I've asked once, I've asked twice, I've asked three times, nothing's happening, I'll just stop. We just kind of give in. Or we think maybe God's answer is no, and maybe it is. But to that, Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In fact, the way that these verbs would read is keep asking. They're they're continual. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Jesus is telling us uh, to our boldness to add persistence. Uh, that even and he even promises that that persistence will pay off. That the one who keeps asking will receive. The one who keeps seeking will find. To the one who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. Now, this is this is not as some have taken it to mean. This is not a. Uh, this is not saying that God is going to give you whatever you want, that if you claim it, it's yours. That is not what Jesus is saying. But it is saying that we ought to pursue with almost a reckless boldness and persistence the face of God, that we can keep praying. Now, we may not get the answer that we expect. We may not get the answer even that we like. 
But Jesus says, God will, our Father will respond. He will open the door. Uh, You may be familiar with the name George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 19th century in England, and uh, he was a pastor in Bristol. He started several different ministries, but the ones that he is most famous for are the orphanages that he started, where he served over 10,000 children during the course of his life. And this is at a time when there was no DHR, that orphan children basically lived in the streets and begged money. Uh, And so... Mueller created these orphanages and uh, completely supported them through prayer. That he never let anyone know his need. Uh, No one knew the needs of the orphanages until he gave his annual report and opened his journals and people saw just how much he had prayed throughout the course of the year for bread, for money to keep the orphanage open, often daily uh, receiving answers to prayer. Um. He records, Mueller records over 50,000 specific answers to his prayers. More than one a day for over 60 years. Um, I'm not sure I've even prayed that much. I'm not 60 years old yet, so maybe one day. Um, but one, of the, and one, one area that uh, Mueller talks about is praying for the conversion of five men, uh, friends of his. He prayed for 18 months, so he's praying for these five men. He prayed for 18 months before the first one came to Christ. He gave thanks to God for the one and keeps praying for the others. Uh, Five years later, another one of them comes to Christ. Six years later, a third comes to Christ. And each time he thanks God and continues to pray daily without interruption, uh, 36 years later, as Mueller is dying, the last two are still unconverted. And yet he says on his deathbed, they are not converted yet, but they will be. I hope in God, I pray on, and I look for the answer. Mueller died in 1898, and within a few months of his death, the final two came to faith in Christ. I don't tell you that story to discourage you, to make you say, gosh, daily prayer for that long, I can't do that. But rather to encourage each one of us to keep seeking God's face, particularly for those things that matter most to Him. Jesus uh, tells a a parable later on in Luke 18 uh, about a widow who seeks justice. And I just want to reference reference it now. I want to read to you the the very first verse of Luke 18. 18, 18.1, he says this, uh, Luke writes this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then he goes on to tell a story about uh, a widow... Uh, so she would have been defenseless. Uh, there would have been nobody to come to her aid in this time. Uh, and so she's a widow. She has an adversary. We don't know quite what's going on, but she's seeking this judge's help. The problem is uh, that the judge, it says twice, does not fear God and does not fear man. So he doesn't care. He doesn't, he's not compassionate. He doesn't care about God's injunction to care for the widows. Nor does he really care about his public reputation. So he doesn't answer her prayers out of that. Um, what it says is this. In verse 4, eventually she, she wears him down. 
It says this, Luke 18, 4, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This woman beat on this judge with her prayers long enough that he, fi- I mean, with her, with her constant coming that finally he just said, okay, yes, I'll do it. That's fine. Again, Jesus makes a lesser to greater argument. If a, if a unscrupulous judge like that will respond to a widow who keeps coming to him, how much more will a gracious father respond to us when we keep asking? We can pray persistently. Against the lie that God doesn't care or that God won't listen, Jesus invites us to seek Him boldly and persistently. But what is it that enables shameless, bold pursuit? How do we know that if we pray that way, God will in fact hear us? Well, we know that because Jesus grounds it in the reality that God is our Father. Look back at Luke 11. Underneath all of these other lies, all the other lies we believe about God and about prayer, there's this, there's this central lie. God is not good. When we, when we refuse to pray either through self-reliance or uh, just because we think God is too busy or whatever, underneath all of that, what we're really saying is God is not good. And to that lie... To the lie that says he doesn't want what is best. Or to the lie that says God can't be trusted. Jesus says this in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? It's almost humorous, isn't it? What father in his right mind, if his child comes to him and says, Hey, Dad, I'd like something to eat. Could you give me something life-sustaining? What father in his right mind would then give him something life-threatening? And Jesus says, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more? There's that lesser to greater again. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Jesus says the reason we can pray persistently and boldly is because God is a good Father. If we need something that sustains life, He will not give us something that takes it. He will always give what is best. And it's interesting interesting in this case, Luke says that Uh, Luke differs a little bit from Matthew here. He gives the Holy Spirit his best gift. What that means is that to those who seek him, God gives himself, his presence, his guidance, his intimacy. In other words, he gives you everything you need. Gosh, I was really hoping for a Lamborghini. No, what we really need is God's presence, His Holy Spirit, and that's what He gives. Let me, uh, let me close with another example of bold, persistent prayer. 
We find it in a couple of places, but we're going to look in Mark 14, in verse 32. The garden on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Jesus has gone there with His friends to pray. And this is a particularly dark moment in Jesus' life. Mark fourteen thirty two, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And He took with Him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. And He said, Abba. There's that word. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. It's a bold prayer. Jesus now feeling the weight. Look, Jesus has been very aware of where his life is headed. Jesus knows and has been telling his, his friends, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to come back. He's even just spent an evening over, over the Passover meal talking through these things with his disciples, trying to get them ready for what's to come. But now here, the moment is here, and the Son of the Father cannot bear it. He is not afraid of Roman execution. He is afraid of the Father's cup. The cup of the Father's wrath. Jesus is referring to an Old Testament picture. The cup of God's wrath that His enemies must drink. Jesus is realizing now what it means for Him to have to drink that cup. And He is in agony. He does not want to drink the cup Abba, Dad, everything is possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He prays that three times. Luke even records that he prays that in such fervor, in such agony, that as he sweats, he actually begins to bleed. The capillaries in his head burst. That's how hard Jesus is praying that this might go some other way. And he finishes each prayer saying, Yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus prays boldly. Jesus prays persistently. He grounds his prayer in the fatherhood of God. He asks his Abba three times for this. And his Abba says, No. Why would Jesus' dad say no? Because his answer to Jesus' prayer is your redemption. In fact, the only way that you and I get to call God Father, the only way that we can pray boldly or persistently is if Jesus drinks the cup for us.
And so even, even the love of God secures our prayers through the death of the Son. So I invite you to come to Jesus. I want to read these words from an old hymn written in 1818. To invite you to the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Who invites you to pray? Come boldly to the throne of grace, ye wretched sinners come, and lay your load at Jesus' feet and plead what He has done. How can I come, some soul may say, I'm lame and cannot walk. My guilt and sin have stopped my mouth. I sigh but dare not talk. Come boldly to the throne of grace, though lost and blind and lame. Jehovah is the sinner's friend and ever was the same. He makes the dead to hear His voice. He makes the blind to see. The sinner lost, He came to save and sets the prisoner free. Come boldly to the throne of grace for Jesus fills the throne and those He kills He makes alive. He hears the sigh or groan. Poor bankrupt souls who feel and know the hell of sin within. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The Lord will take you in. Let's pray.